Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I want to talk to you about a guy that you all know. Matter of fact, he preached the first Pentecostal message ever preached. Matter of fact, his first message brought 3,000 converts. It was a good start. But he, he, like you and I, had his own weaknesses and his own frailties. It was hard for him oftentimes to understand why things happened the way they happened. But he had one flaw that most of us share, and that was the flaw of being able to forgive himself. We all know I'm talking about Peter. Peter, what a guy. If you want to sit, why don't you just take a seat? What a guy he was. He, he was spontaneous. He was alive. He was purpose-driven. He was the kind of guy that was the life of the party, one that was the outspoken. If he was married, I think he was, he had a mother-in-law, his wife was always apologizing for the things that he said because they just came out. But he was the spark that the Lord used to ignite the fire and the explosion of the church. I want to, I want to focus uh, on something that happened before the day of Pentecost. It had to happen, I believe, because there was something inside Peter that the Lord needed to remove if the growth of the church was ever going to reach the heights that God wanted it to reach. Usually people that are spontaneous and strongly, strongly opinionated are people that have their own things in the closet that they try to hide. One thing I've learned in 40-some years of ministry is the person that is most verbal about a topic is usually the one that's guilty of it. And I've seen pastors, they'll, and other, not just pastors, other people that will be accusing and accusational. And I think sometimes they're that way to take the attention off their own weaknesses. But here's Peter. He thought he was doing really good. He had the revelation of the deity of Christ. Flesh and blood is not revealed unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. You, know, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. That's great, Peter. But after the death of, Christ, of, of Jesus, after he had told Jesus purposely that he would never leave him, and that he would fight to the death no matter whatever came into Jesus' life. He could count on him to be his friend, to be there with the sword, to fight. And then when the soldiers of the high priest came that, that night before the crucifixion and took him prisoner, he was completely confused as to his purpose. He was confused to his own identity. He, he didn't know exactly what to say or what to do, and that was unusual for him. 
you're one of them, aren't you? That was what they said to him by the fire that night as Jesus was before the tribunal or before the high priest. You're one of them. Oh, no, no, not me. I'm not one. When you're uncertain of where you're walking and where you stand, you oftentimes will try to draw back into the crowd of a public opinion. It's, it's, and that's what happened to Peter that night. And after the third time, and Jesus had told him, you know, Peter, you, you know, you, you're like most Christians. You really talk a good talk. And, but when the, the rubber hits the road, all of a sudden, you start to become frail and wavering. He says, you, you say that you'll walk with me, but this very night, within 24 hours, you will have denied me and that you even knew me three times. Oh, Lord, not me. I would never do that. Now, I'm prefixing what I want to read tonight or this morning so that you can understand what's really taking place in this portion of Scripture. Peter is, has failed. The Lord has died, suffered on the cross, and been buried in a tomb. And Peter feels that it's somewhat his responsibility. He could have done more, but he did not do it. And when I go to John, the 21st chapter, and I'm going to start with verse 1. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana, in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two disciples, two other disciples were together. And you can see their spontaneous Peter. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we will go with you. I do not know what to do or who I am so I am going back to something that I had given up previously to return to a relationship that I was comfortable with. I'm going back to fish. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. This boat was probably the boat that Peter had fished in with his brothers and his father. It was part of the family business. I'm going back to the family business. I'm no longer going to be as Jesus commissioned me, a fisher of men. I'm just going to go back and eke out an existence in reality. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. It does not say how long he stood there, but we know it was for a period of time because as we continue to read, we're going to find that Jesus has got a fire going and fish on the fire and bread cooked. He may have been standing there all night listening to the words that the disciples shared one with another about their frustration and fear and anxiety over what's happened in the previous days. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? 
Now, if you've ever fished, you don't, that's one question you don't like people to ask you. You don't ask a fisherman if he doesn't have any fish. Who is this guy? Who's this guy that's making us feel worse? We've been up all night toiling with trying to catch fish in the net. We haven't even got a minnow. Now, in the scripture, it just answers one word. No. No, they answered. And I could hear their thoughts, go away and bother someone else. Let us wallow in our own self-pity. And that's what oftentimes happens to us when we're confused as to the will of God in our life and when we start to remember how we have purposely let God down. I'm not saying accidentally. Sometimes we know what to do and we don't do it because we're afraid of what will happen if we say what we should say. Now Jesus, he continues to speak. He said, he, he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fishes. I've oftentimes thought about this and I, I am not a fisherman. I'm really not much of a hunter anymore either. But I have hunted and fished in my life and I would have probably thought, why would I want to go through all the effort of throwing the net on the, in the same place it was just a few minutes ago because somebody on the shore is intruding on my pity party. But you know what? They said, what do we got to lose? What do we have to lose? Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, if you were here on Wednesday, you know who that disciple is. Who is it, you know? John. The, the, the net is so full of fishes at this point that they can't even haul it into the boat. It's what they've been out all night trying to achieve, but there's something like an explosion spiritually in the heart of Peter when he realizes that this is Jesus and that he has made contact with him. Because remember, Peter has let the Lord down by denying him three times and for these last number of days, he has hammered himself with guilt. He's trying to hide behind the boat. He's trying to hide behind his occupation. But when the Lord makes contact and makes himself available, Peter realized that there must be compassion and mercy and forgiveness available for one such as I. He forgot about the fish. It is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. When you're desperate for reconciliation, and you've been lost in the forest of doubt and fear, when the light starts to make itself available, there's nothing that will stop you from reaching it. 
He could have stayed in the boat like the rest of the disciples and waited a little bit as they hauled the fish to shore. But he was so desperate to be, to be with Christ and once again weld that relationship back together that he jumped into the water and he swam to shore. It says the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if you swim 100 yards is quite a ways. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. I know I don't get burning coals until the fire has actually been burning for a while. Coals just don't start to happen. Jesus was just waiting. The, the, the writer, John, is referring to the coals because he's saying Jesus just hasn't arrived. He's been available through the night. It was finally him that initiated contact, trying to, trying to draw their attention to himself. And when they came to him, they found what they really needed the most was a warm fire and a hot meal. Jesus said to them, and this was interesting, bring some fish, some of the fish that you've just caught. I have a question. Where did he get the fish? He was already cooking fish. He had no trouble, I guess, fishing. He, was, he had fish. They didn't have fish. Why? And he had just fed 5,000 people. He had resources. He had a, a supermarket in heaven, so to speak. Why did he want them to bring of their fish when he already had fish? This is a mutual relationship. When we get together and worship God, we each bring a potluck dish. God supplies all of our needs, but he expects us to bring something of ourselves to the dinner. Bring your fish. Bring your struggles and your sacrifices and your, your discouragements to the fire as well, and we'll share in them together. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. When we were in uh, Israel, um, the guide that we had that took us out on the Sea of Galilee, I, I forget the name of the fish that they, they believe that Peter caught, uh, but he showed us a fish that they believed that he had caught, and they were not little ones. They were actually about that size. So when it says they were large fish, we aren't talking about a panfish. We're talking about a larger fish, 153 in one net at one time. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew who he was. It was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. 
Now, this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, <clears throat> Jesus said to Simon Peter, and I can see Jesus taking Peter by the arm and away from the fire and the rest of the disciples just apart a little way. He said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And he's pointing to his catch. He's pointing to the boat. He's pointing to the, the fish that they've, they've hauled in from the Sea of Galilee. Again, remember that Peter's occupation was a fisherman. That was what he was and his identity before Christ called him. Do you really love me more than your own identity? Let me go back for just a moment to Matthew, the fourth chapter, verse 18 and 19, and let me take you back to where Jesus first met Peter and where he first called him. It says, And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, I'm in Matthew, the fourth chapter, verse 18 and 19, And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren. Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Picture yourself in the boat that day. Everything that you know, everything that you're familiar with is present. And a man that you've never met comes to you and tells you to leave all that you know and what supports you in a financial sense and follow him. It was a leap of faith. But there was something about the persona and presence of Jesus Christ that when he came to people, just his presence affected them enormously. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. There was no discussion. There was no contract. There was something about the man. You know, can you hear his dad as they both left the boat and he's left? He's left standing there holding the whole thing. You're crazy. What are you doing? How can you do this? But there wasn't an attachment between Peter and Andrew and Christ that day that for the next three and a half years or three years could not be broken. It was tested at Calvary. I, I wonder sometimes, and if you have an imagination like me, I wonder what it was that they felt when he was near, what they saw when he, they looked into his eyes, when they were in his presence. I don't think that Jesus was uh, like, I don't know, this, the first picture that popped into my mind is the strong, masculine Marlboro man from the old commercials from 50 years ago. I don't think that was what drew people to him. There was something about his presence, the calming presence, the, the, the way that people felt when he talked. And they left it all. All of the security. 
Let's go back now to John 21 and finish this here. He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And we all are familiar with the word love here. Filion agape, the Lord using agape as the love of commitment. And filio is the word that Peter's using as you're my friend a friendship relationship because Peter is not going to lie to Christ and say, you know what? A friend would not have done to you what I did. Lord, how can you, after what I've just done, say that you love me in that, that commitment love when I could not love you that way before because I walked away from you? And he won't use the same word that Jesus is using three times. He saith unto him the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. Again, he uses the word filio, and Jesus uses the word agape. He cannot say that he loves Christ in the same manner that Christ loves him because he knows that he is weak, and he cannot promise that he'll never fail again or make a bad decision. And the Lord says, You know what? He saith unto him, feed my sheep. You are not a fisherman any longer. It's time to sell the boat. The thing that you run back to when things are tough and you don't know what to do, it's time to sell that. It's time to get rid of the boat, Peter. And the message that I get in the scripture is the Lord speaks to us and it says those things that hold you back, those things that you run to to hide when you're afraid, you need to get rid of the boat and you need to come to me. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. You won't find peace and rest in the boat. You can only find it with Christ. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, what is Christ trying to do? He's trying to get Peter to answer in a committed way and not just in a friendship way. Three times he denied him. Three times the Lord comes to him and says, are you going to serve me or not? Lovest thou me? And he said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Verily, and this is where the Lord walks away from the those, those uh, statements of inquisitiveness, do you really love me? Do you, are you going to stay with me? And he says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walk whither thou wouldest. But not when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. He's saying, Peter, there's not always going to be a boat for you to run to. In your walk for God, there's not going to always be those, those escape places, those rooms of safety that they call them uh, 
disaster rooms years ago where people would have them in their basement where they could run and hide. There's not always going to be those things available. The name of the Lord is a mighty strong tower. And Jesus is saying, you're going to have to run into me. You need to come under my wings. You need to run into the tower of my strength. This spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God and what he had spoken this he saith unto him, follow me. What he's really saying is you think this, is, this was the ultimate test, Peter, it isn't. This walk that we ha- you're going to have, Peter, is going to end in death and you need to decide whether you're going to love me with the kind of love that I need to survive. Filial love isn't going to get you through. Agape love will, because you need to commit yourself to the cause and to the walk and the calling that I've given to you, because you will, your life will end in martyrdom. So you need to make up your mind right now whether you're going to go or you're not going to go. These two words follow. They hold a whole host of messages. You know, Peter, when the multitudes worship me, follow me. When they don't follow me, still follow me. When you have a sure direction and understanding, you follow me. But when you're uncertain and afraid in the shadows and the clouds block the sun, follow me. Continue to follow me. Don't put your trust in a boat. Don't put your trust in tools that have no source of life within themselves. Remember, Jesus is saying to Peter, I'm the one that supplies all your needs. I'm all you need. Christ is all you need this morning. The type of love you need to follow me, he's saying to Peter, is um, not a love bought about by just association. It's not a membership in a a church. It's a commitment to the cause of Christ and the gospel of Jesus. If you walk into a fiery furnace, the Lord cries out, I'll meet you there. If you're thrown into a den of lions, I'll be there. For you belong to me. And I love you for my love goes beyond your weaknesses, your failures, and your doubts. I love you regardless of those things, but come and follow me. I had a, a, a number of years ago, and I'm going to close with this. I uh, was going through a difficult time. Oh, I'm sure you've had yours too. So when I say I had a difficult time, I'm not embarrassed. I think we all go through trials and tribulation. If not, you're probably on the wrong road. You might want to check your map. Um, but there was a, a conference over at Parkway. I bet you it's probably six, seven, maybe even longer than that, eight years ago. And I don't even remember who was preaching, but I know it was anointed. I, it was a very powerful message, and the presence of God was in the room. And just like we have tongues and interpretation here, as I was sitting... There, the Lord started to speak to me real clearly, and I thought, well, is this something that I should audibly say? Or do, I, do I say this or do I not say this? 
And the Lord said, no, this is for you. But this morning, I feel it's for all of us. Because, I, and I got a piece of paper out, and I began to write down the things, I, because the Lord impressed, I want you to write this down, because I want you to read it to yourself again and again and again. When you get into the circumstances that you find yourself right now, I want you to get it out, and I want you to read these words. And I don't know why I'm saying this this morning. Maybe somebody is in a place that's a little shadowy. But these are the words that I wrote down. And he, he gave me the scripture, 1 Peter 2.9. And 1 Peter 2.9 is this. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are his own special people. Do you get the message? Who you are? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you into his light. His marvelous light. And these are the words that, I'm just going to read them because... Uh, I, I don't want to change anything here. Fulfill your predetermined destiny. Yes, it may be hard to walk, but walk through the walls as I have given you power to overcome the enemy. A new day is rising, as you have seen, and is displayed on the, very, on the cover of the very book you've published. The tide is coming in, and the dawn is rising, and hell is shaking, Yes, the war is raging, but my people will do great exploits, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Receive encouragement and drink from the fountain of my sacrifice. As you have not denied my name, neither shall I turn away from you in the hour of your trial. The victory is not yours, but the Lord's, for it is a battle that was started in heaven, but will be finished on earth. And you are one of the warriors I have chosen. No demon can withstand me. And since my spirit dwells in you and my name appears on your forehead, nothing by any means shall stop or hurt you. Your wounds will heal and your heart shall gain strength and you shall do valiantly. Look not to the world for guidance, for I am the one who orders your steps. Let the sounds of victory precede the struggle, and the enemies of God will scatter, for they know that the Lord triumphant is rising from the sea of humanity's prayers, and his sword is in his hand. Look not into your heart for guidance, but look to the one who's ch who changes hearts and gives strength to the weak. For the mouse will chase away the lion and the sun will hold its place and the darkness shall flee. Rejoice in this my word for it will come to pass. Who are you? The Lord wants you to understand that you're a royal generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're called by his name. You know where his name is? It's on your forehead. You may not see it, but all in the spiritual realm know who you belong to. Satan knows it. God knows it. And what God owns, he protects. Now let's go and do valiantly. 
Let's sell the boat. Let's get rid of the, those little things we run to. Let's stop pouting and realize that this is a battle that we can overcome through him and not ourselves. Yes, we all fail. We all fail. And there's times that we don't feel worthy to walk into the holy place. But remember, that's what the brazen altar was for. That's what the brazen laver was for. So that when you did fall, you could walk again into the very holiest of holies. You could live in the light of the candlesticks. And you could eat that heavenly bread that cometh down from heaven. And you could sell the sweet sense, incense of God's spirit moving in your life. Get rid of the boat because there's a fire on the shore. By the way, bring a couple of the fish that you caught that he allowed you to catch because you'll share in that meal together. All right, well, thank you. That's what I wanted to share. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.